and welcome back to SAS Stories and Sarcasm. We're your hosts, Mary and Brian, and this is episode 189. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary. How are you? Good. Uh, I started my new job. Um, this Today was the end of day six, so first week and one day under my belt. It's been Ooh. going really well so far. Uh, so I've been working at Niche, which uh, mostly focuses in uh, school search for K through 12 and college, but also does like uh, places to work and places to live. Um, and so my role is on the lifecycle marketing team. So still learning my role. One thing I really think is cool about this company is they have a lot of onboarding sessions. So all the new people are all going to all these onboarding sessions last week and this week uh, to learn more about the company and just really happy to be at a company that really values, you know, my time and my skills and it was a good move. Yes. Yeah. Based off of all every, everything you've shown me, uh, this seems like a huge step up and, uh, very happy for you. Yeah. How is you, how are you doing? Um, uh, my, my job is going dandy as usual. Uh, I recently, uh, I believe in March, like the end of March, the beginning of April was my two year, two years at expediters. So that's pretty cool. Um, Right now, uh, still, even though we're in the pandemic, uh, I still get to work from home, which is nice. Eventually, that's probably going to end, but at least, at least up until June. So every day working from home is basically a vacation. Um, well, it's a vacation. Clarify, you're still working. You're oh yeah, wear it, basketball in, my, shorts. in my mind, it's like, wow, this is like a vacation. <laughs> I am working because I you can wear basketball shorts most likely. Yes, and not yes. a suit. That and. Uh, yeah, whenever I get stuck with whatever I'm doing at my work, I can just throw myself on my bed. <laughs> no, I don't do that a lot, but it, it, it the option is there. Can't do that in an office. <laughs> yeah, really can't. <laughs> no, definitely not. But let's see. What what did we do this weekend? Oh, we went to this exhibit called Dinos Alive. Right. With Braden, Lincoln, Alec, and some of uh, their friends on Friday. Um, it We went... We mentioned this a few months ago. We went to a, the Immersive Van Gogh exhibit in Seattle, mm-hmm. and it's right next to that. Uh, so we get there. You know, we have a group. We got the group rate because Brayden wrangled eight people so we could get a cheaper discount on the tickets. We're in the line. Someone in our group asks uh, one of the workers, what's the average age for people <laughs> who go to this exhibit? And they're like, one to 12 years old. Uh, we're all in our 20s. So uh, we're bringing up that average. Oh, yeah, we definitely were. Um, we're, we're, we're making it so other 20-year-olds don't have to feel that bad. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we're waiting in line to, uh, you know, check in or whatever. This is Friday at 6.30. So much is going on in Seattle. Uh, the Mariners were playing about four or five blocks away. Um, Joe Biden was in town, so I was very worried about the traffic and the parking, but got a good parking spot, luckily, for free actually, which is surprising. But anyways, we were in the line and uh, one of the workers asked if we had VIP tickets and someone in our group jokingly said, yes, we do. But no, we didn't. But they graciously gave us VIP passes anyways. So we had these lanyards that had dinosaurs on them. It said VIP. Uh, We felt very important. (laughs) It was. It was. So, you know, it was a pretty cool exhibit. Like, they weren't life-size dinosaurs. Like, some were bigger than what their card said they were. It said like the height and the length of the dinosaurs, but didn't correlate. But maybe for a kid it would. 
uh, and a VIP pass meant that we could use an Oculus uh, VR headset and throw bones to a dinosaur. Uh, and it would basically retrieve it like a dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very interesting um, experience. The other part of the VIP pass that we were not able to utilize is they had, um, you could ride on a dinosaur, but again, this was for typical age of one to 12 year olds. So luckily or unluckily we were all too heavy for that part, according to the workers. Yeah. So we, we <laughs> right. So we passed by that area and we just looked over and we saw like a bunch of like, you know, four or five year olds, uh, you know, riding the dinosaur, uh, animatronic and we're like, Oh, if only, if only. Well, we but... didn't pay for the VIP pass, so it's all <laughs> That's good. That's true. Um, and then also, there was a part where you could race a dinosaur. So, uh, Brian, you partook in that. Right, right. Uh, basically, what it was is it, there was a screen uh, to the side of you, and basically there was a start and an end point. And basically, you had to reach the end point before, I believe it was a velociraptor, uh, got to the end, so you could see if you could outrun the Velociraptor, and uh, I, I don't know if I did or not, but uh, that was it was very f fun because you had to like pretend to run as a dinosaur too. You can just run as a person, um, so with like know, tiny arms. With tiny arms, so you had to like put your. It was a very ridiculous sight. You basically had to put your. There is a video. Your arms in, so you look like a, like an actual uh, like a T Rex with the mini arms, and just run as fast as you could, and uh, hope that you're you reach the end zone before uh, the Velociraptor on the screen next to you. Otherwise you'd be eaten back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was super fun. It's as close as we'll get to going to Jurassic park. Yes. Yes. Besides, I guess the universal studios ride that we rode last summer. That was, that is true. That is, that is another dinosaur immersive experience. Who knows? Maybe Jurassic park will become a thing in our lifetimes so, though. So you never know. Maybe That'd be pretty scary. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about it for the weekend, I'd say. Um, I got a soundbar, uh, watched Shrek and Shrek 2, which we'll talk about a little bit later since it's leaving Netflix. So, right. But most of this episode is actually going to be about streaming services. Um, you know, since COVID started, I feel like more and more people have subscribed to like every streaming service. Uh, I think before it was like you could do with, you know, three or four of them. But now it's like during COVID, it was like, I need every streaming service. I need to watch every show. Uh, and I kind of wanted to go over the numbers of how many like subscribers there are for each streaming service. And so obviously at number one is Netflix. And that was started in 2007, as everyone knows, as a DVD you know, subscription service. Right now they have 221.6 million subscribers, uh, by far the largest uh, streaming service, and it's worldwide, um, followed by Amazon Prime Video, which has 175 million subscribers, although that's just mostly probably because people have Amazon Prime accounts and that comes free. Right, okay. right. It's Amazon not specific. So you're not outright seeking to get an Amazon Prime video. I mean, I'm sure some people get the Prime account for the video service, but most people are getting it for quick shopping and stuff like that. So those numbers, I don't know if that's you know accurate to how many like users they're actually using Amazon Prime Video, but that's why I think it's in second place, followed by Disney Plus, which has 129.8 million um, 
user subscribers. Uh, something to note is this one was started in 2019, end of 2019. So this is a much newer um, streaming service. Um, and then there's a few others, but then dropping down to another one that's very popular, at least in the US, is HBO Max. It has 76.8 million users. Uh, and again, this one was started in 2020, May 2020, so right after the pandemic. Um, YouTube Premium has 50 million, and Hulu has 45.3 million. Paramount Plus is uh, a newer one; it has 30. They're lagging behind. <laughs> yeah, and well, they're, they're new, and but but Paramount Plus came out in 2014, so yeah, but I think they revamped garnered. it. Yeah, that's true because HBO Max, HBO has been around for a while, and yeah. H- HBO Max, it looks like it's they're starting the time from that point. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I want to talk about Peacock has 24.5 million subscribers. Uh, you know, there's some smaller ones as well. Apple TV Plus has 33.6 and a lot of smaller, smaller ones. But, you know, the big players are Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Hulu. Um, and Netflix really was the one that started all because, Brian, were you a subscriber when it was like a DVD service? Uh, no, I, I, all I had was Blockbuster back in the day. I've obviously Netflix kind of put them out of business, but, uh, no, to answer your question, I, I've only very recently become a Netflix subscriber. So with the, you know, DVD service, it was kind of a game changer because you could just put as many movies in your queue as you wanted and you could check out, I think three DVDs at a time. Um, and they would mail Mm. them to you, which is huge and you could keep them for as long as you wanted because i remember getting movies at blockbuster and i think they had either a 24 or 48 hour return time so then you know right parents had to go to blockbuster get us a movie and then a day or two later we had to go drive back to return it otherwise you get a late fee whereas you know netflix one flat price you could keep the dvd as many times as you wanted i know kids like to watch movies over and over so i want to keep the dvd for a while so that was kind of a game changer you could just get as many as you wanted, uh, three DVDs at a time. But, you know, obviously they transitioned into streaming. And with that, they were able to get a lot more data um, about what view- viewers want through data science. Um, so they began experimenting with data in 2006. Uh, it started as a DVD rental company in 1987. So about nine years later, they started experimenting with data and then they held a competition to create an algorithm that would substantially improve the accuracy of predictions about how much someone is going to enjoy a movie based on their movie preferences but then since then netflix has taken data beyond the rating prediction and has you know much much more personalized ranking page generation search image selection messaging marketing all of that uh, and their algorithm is called the netflix recommendation engine nre Um, And it's made up of algorithms which filter content based on each individual user profile. Uh, And the engine filters over 3,000 titles at a time using 1,300 recommendation clusters. Um, And it's so accurate that 80% of Netflix viewer activity is driven by personalized recommendations from the image uh, engine. Wow. um, Yeah. That's crazy. Like, I never just say, like, Oh, because you watch this, you might be interested in this. No, I'm very particular. But I guess 80% of the people out there like are happy with what Netflix is recommending them. 
That's well, great. I mean, this is not they're, they're not the only company using a recommendation engine. Oh, yes. Right. Amazon, LinkedIn, Spotify, Instagram, it. YouTube. Basically every company is, you know, using a recommendation engine to predict their users' preferences and then that therefore boosts their business because people will be more likely to stay on their site. Um, mm-hmm. but Netflix is the most successful engine because 47% of North Americans prefer to use Netflix with a 93% retention rate. Uh, Amazon Prime comes in second at only 14%. Um, and then every other subscription streaming service is in the single digits. So That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Some of the things that Netflix tracks uh, data points are the time and date a user watches title, uh, user profile information, like age, gender, location, and selected favorite content uh, upon sign up the device they're using to stream it, if the show is paused, rewound, or fast-forwarded, if the views are resumed watching after pausing, whether an entire TV series or movies was completed, how long it took a viewer to watch an entire TV series, if the (laughs) viewer gave a show or a movie a thumbs up, if they watched certain scenes repeatedly, the number of searches and what they searched for, where they watched the show by postal code, browsing and scrolling behavior, screenshots, when the show is paused, when the user left the show, and when the user watches the scene more than once. So they're literally tracking everything. Wow, that's crazy. Like, I wonder if they see, like, someone, like, since they, they are tracking everything, they see someone pause, like, multiple times and, like, get back to their show, like, you know, like, a week later, like, okay, this this show is too long for this person. Let's recommend something a little bit shorter or something Possibly. like that. Yeah, Possibly, that, that's actually. That's really cool. I mean, you know, I tend to not be able to watch long movies and... All of a sudden, Netflix uh, recommends that old enough show that we talked about, I think, last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. And those episodes for like 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I did like that. So they were correct in their recommending. Well, look at that. Show. Look at that. <laughs> um, so the typical television show only has a 35% chance of succeeding. But Netflix shows have a 93% chance of succeeding because, you know, they're not based on random guesses of what they think might work. They're based on data um, because television just relies on tradition, opinion, and luck, mostly. Also, Netflix uses data to create targeted marketing campaigns for all of their original content. So they cut over 10 different versions of trailers for content that they expect to be popular, which is crazy. Just, you know, for example, on this, uh, you know, article we're reading here, House of Cards. If a user profile indicated that they like strong female leads, they would see a preview featuring uh, Robin Wright, who played Claire Underwood in the show. And then they created trailers focusing on the director, Kevin Spacey and his character, the political aspects, and more. And then each one is chosen by an algorithm to show you with a 90% guarantee you would enjoy it or at least be interested in watching the first episode. Wow, that's really cool. So they kind of tailor the trailer to you like they've made multiple different versions of trailers and it sounds like okay based off your profile this this trailer will be the most appealing to you even though it's you know the same movie all around but it might hook you into it a little bit better and with that i've also heard that they change the movie poster what you see on the main menu based on what other things that you like so maybe they'll show a different character in the movie depending on oh you like this actor you like ryan reynolds Instead of posting Sandra Bullock from the proposal, we'll put Ryan Reynolds on your screen and maybe you'd be more <laughs> likely to you know, watch that movie because he's on it, uh, just as a random example that I thought of. Um, they're 
actually tailoring everything. And like I said, they're kind of watching everything you're doing, yes. uh, which is pretty cool and creepy, but mostly cool. Cause it's like, why not? I don't care if they're going to serve me things that they think I'll like, I probably will like it. Yeah. So far I have no complaints. Uh, most of the things that Netflix suggests for me, I have probably already watched and I'm like, Oh yeah, I enjoyed that as well. So that's, uh, they're definitely on the right track. They're doing something right. I don't tend to um, thumbs up or thumbs down things very often. Occasionally, if I'm watching something and I don't like it, I and I stop it after a few minutes, sometimes I thumbs down it. But do you do that? Uh, honestly, I didn't even know that was a feature. Oh. <laughs> but yes, good for you, thumbs downing things. Got to tell the algorithm to adjust itself accordingly so mm-hmm. you do, don't get whatever you didn't like the previous time. And from their engine, it basically tells Netflix what shows they need to make and what movies they need to make because they know how to capture the, their audience and continue growing it because they have the exact data. Like, they have started so many, like, shows, like Love is Blind, The Ultimatum, like, several shows, like, Those reality shows. shows. Yeah. Yeah, in the past. Um, and they probably are like, okay, people like The Bachelor or whatever. Let's make dating shows. What are some, you know, data points we can pull that would make people interested in watching our dating shows. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. And and you know, people have been into like you know, like the superhero craze for the last mm-hmm. ten years or so at least. So I know that they always come off with little spinoffs to uh, with whatever superheroes out there. So, you know, because you know, obviously that will have an audience as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you know the American Heart Association recommends 150 active minutes each week to help with heart health? What if you could earn rewards just for being healthy? That's where Paceline comes in. Paceline is a free app that gives you rewards for exercising 150 minutes per week. Keep up a weekly streak and get even more rewards. Every week of your streak, the rewards vary. You can choose from gift cards from Amazon, Starbucks, Target, and more to discounts for products or services and even donations to charitable organizations. Join me on Paceline. To get started, download the free Paceline app, connect it to your activity tracker, and use our referral code SSSPOD to start earning rewards just for being healthy. Shopping online can be a real hassle. You have to jump from tab to tab comparing prices and trying coupon codes to make sure you're getting the best deal. Let me introduce you to Honey, the world's most popular money-saving app and browser extension. I use Honey all the time. Whenever I'm about to check out online, I click the button and it finds me the best coupon code available and instantly applies them to my cart. Honey is totally free. In fact, the only thing it can do is save you money. Get the Honey browser extension by going to sassstorysarcasm.com slash honey and start saving some money today. I read an article recently that, you know, inflation has risen at the fastest pace in more than 40 years in this past month in April with the cost of like food, gas, housing, just rising all over the world. (laughs) So expensive. Um, And the U.S. Labor Department announced uh, on April 12th about two weeks ago, that the consumer price index jumped 8.5% in March from 12 months earlier, the highest jump seen since 1981. 
Um, so as a result, 36% of Americans are considering cutting a monthly subscription like Netflix or Amazon Prime Video. Um, and also 35% across the country have already cut a streaming service to save money. Like I said, I felt like during the pandemic, people were like, just get all the streaming services because, you know, at least for a while, it's like stay in your house and watch TV. Right. Um, you couldn't, a lot of outdoor entertainment was either shut down or, uh, you know, very hard to get into, at least in Seattle because of the pandemic. Well, and I mean, uh, probably all around the world, but, you know, oh, yeah. uh, now that both inflation is rising and the pandemic is slowing down a little bit right now, people are like, okay, we need to cut something out of our monthly subscriptions. And yep, looks like the streaming services are the first to go. <laughs> yeah. Because they're uh, unnecessary, really. That's true. The biggest loser right now is Disney Plus. Um, people have found that, or the studies have found that Amazon Prime Video and Netflix were considered must-have services um, mm. because they offer the likes of action series and dramas. Uh, but Disney Plus saw 12% of its UK customers, at least, walk away from their deals. Uh, and yeah, it's that one's more focused on kids, and so they're probably like, "Oh, I can just find other content for my kids on the streaming other streaming services that I like to watch." That's true. I feel like Netflix has a bigger variety, so you'd want to hold on to that. And then Amazon Prime, like you said, it's more it's more than just a streaming service. It's it's a shipping service as well. So mm -hmm. that has that has value outside of uh, you know, just the service itself. And then Disney Plus, while it does have a lot of cool movies there, like you said, it's there's a lot of Disney Disney movies which are tailored more to kids and like you said. Uh, you could probably find an equivalent movie on Netflix. So no need to have everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one thing that I did want to mention is that more and more shows that were on cable TV are, you know, sometimes like on Hulu, then shows would become live the next day after they aired, like Shark Tank or whatever. Like you watch it on ABC, but then the next day it would be available on Hulu to watch. But right. now some shows, sorry about the siren in the background. But uh, some shows now are actually moving from completely from uh, cable or just normal TV only exclusively on a streaming service. Uh, for example, uh, the Kardashians were on E! and then they exclusively moved to Hulu recently. Um, this means that, you know, shows just drop at the same time around the world so you don't have to, like, wait for an East Coast time, a West Coast time, and all around the world different times it just drops at midnight on east coast or pacific time or whatever um, and then later in the fall then dancing with the stars is going to be exclusively on disney plus as a live show and it's the first live show that's going to be on disney plus um and probably Almost oh, so it will no ABC. longer be on ABC. You have yeah, to. It's only going to be on Disney Plus. All right, people. If you want to watch Dancing with the Stars, you got to have reget Disney Plus. Put it back in the budget. <laughs> but again, this is a smart move, I think, because um, these streaming services, like we've been talking about, have so much data on their users that they're able to give you such more, like, specific ads to what people might actually buy that are watching it. Everyone could be mm. getting different ads. Whereas when Dancing with the Stars is on uh, ABC, then it's like nationwide ads or some, some local ads. But these can be much more honed in on what users might actually be interested in. Of course, there's always the option people might have um, 
ad-free versions of Hulu or other streaming services, but they paid extra for that. Right, right. It's just something weird to think about. I think that more shows will probably uh, move to streaming services just because, like I said, they're able to be served to the audience that they can show with data will want to watch their show rather than just being like, oh, this show's on at 8 p.m. on Friday. It's not like a lot of people watch that many live shows anymore anyway. Yeah, live TV's kind of going away. And besides people, sports, like, on demand. Yeah, besides sports. And, but even, even like, the ESPN streaming services, like, you can watch, like, whatever, any of the ESPN shows live. So that's, that's, that's another streaming service. It's not nearly as popular as, you know, like Disney Plus or Netflix. And I think it, didn't the NFL there. had some of their games on Amazon Prime like, oh, or, or YouTube or YouTube Premium. Hmm. Yeah. There so you go. I think streaming is the future. Yes. Speaking of uh, more Netflix, though, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning um, of the episode, Brian and I watched Shrek and Shrek 2 this weekend. Uh, Brian, you have been wanting to watch Shrek for quite a while. You hadn't seen it in a while. And you noted that both Shrek and Shrek 2 were leaving streaming services on April 30th. So as of the time of this recording, you have five days to watch. Hopefully you're listening to this episode within five days of us posting it. Otherwise you're out of luck. Uh, yes. Get your Shrek fix in while you can. Because <laughs> yeah. it's going to be gone. So we wanted to go over some Shrek trivia, because why not? Um, and we want to talk about Shrek 1, and then we'll talk about Shrek 2. Uh, but Shrek 1, first of all, was uh, released in 2001. So it's 21 years old. Um, first piece of trivia is Chris Farley was originally cast as Shrek and even recorded almost all of his, all of the dialogue. But after his death, the role was given to his fellow Saturday Night Live performer, Mike Myers. Um, and Shrek's air quotes in the film are, uh, just kind of show their the respect to, uh, Chris Farley. And I listened to a clip on YouTube and it sounds way different, um, of him record his recording of the Shrek scenes, um, and it's way, way different than Mike Myers. Oh, wow. Could have had a totally different Shrek impression then. Mm-hmm. Uh, another fun fact is the song All Star by Smash Mouth, uh, heard in the opening credits, like basically when they're in the very beginning of the movie, was only a placeholder for test screening of a new song that could, could have been could be found. But audiences loved it so much, uh, the producers uh, decided to keep it. Uh, when the producers decided to keep All Star, they decided to let the band perform the last song in the movie, I'm a Believer as well. So uh, that's a great idea. I mean, that that was, that's what makes Shrek Shrek. <laughs> Those two <laughs> songs, like, make up that movie, <laughs> I think. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's good de- good decision not to put in uh, a different song. Were the, I wonder if those songs were written for Shrek, or I, that's where I know them from, but I don't know if they're older songs. That's true. When I hear that, I mean, that's the first time those songs... Uh, I became aware of those songs just by Me watching too. Shrek and I'm like, Oh, yep. I know exactly what's happening when all stars being played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, next up Shrek received his own star on the Hollywood walk of fame, which is pretty cool. Yes. There you go. Uh, next up we have the computer animation production start computer animation production started on the project in October 31st, 1996. And it took more than four and a half years to complete. So that's a long time just to make an animation. 
Uh, mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, it, it took a little bit longer and a lot more band power to do these things. So four and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Shrek means monster in Yiddish, and it's derived from the German word Shrek, which is spelled slightly different than the title, um, but it's spelled S-C-H-R-E-C-K. So basically adding two C's into the word where there isn't in the movie title. And mm-hmm. that means terror or fright. Yep. Well, that is aptly named then because he's, you know, portrayed in the very beginning as a big scary ogre. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, next up, we have the effects department actually took mud showers to study how realistic to, how to realistically portray mud in the film. So <laughs> when Shrek's taking a like a mud bath slash shower, the reason the animation probably looks the way it does is because someone actually in real life took a mud shower and they saw how the mud moved. <laughs> That's pretty gross. What a but... weird job. You just like, what'd you do today at work? I took a mud shower just to see how the mud would fall on my skin. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you're getting paid a lot for it. I'd get paid true. for a mud shower. I, sign me up. <laughs> um, Nicholas Cage was initially offered the role of Shrek, but he turned it down because he did not want to look like an ugly ogre. But in 2013, <laughs> 12 years after the movie came out, uh, Cage admitted that he regrets the decision, and he explained, uh, quote, when you're drawn in a way that it says more than about how children are going to see you more than anything else, and I so care about that. So. That yeah. is interesting. I never knew uh, Nicolas Cage could have been in Shrek. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Next up, we have the first, uh, the first 2001 film to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar uh, that was Shrek. So they beat out Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and Monsters, Inc. And I'd say aptly deserved. It was a very good, well-animated movie. I like Monsters, Inc. a ton, too. I think yeah, I don't... They're both... They're, the alternatives are good, too. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think I saw Jimmy Neutron and Monsters, Inc. in theaters, probably. But I don't think yeah. I saw Shrek in theaters that I can remember. I think I only saw Shrek. Either I saw Shrek in theaters or I saw... I don't know where I saw Shrek first, but it wasn't... It wasn't at my house. <laughs> it was somewhere else out there. It could have been like a movie. Sh- a it was a movie. It was a, yeah, it was a movie being shown by someone else or in theaters. And uh, I'm very happy. I got to see it. <laughs> um, next up is Shrek 2, which came out three years later in 2004. Uh, Shrek's face is so expressive because it has 218 working muscles in it, which is crazy amount of muscles to manipulate on a computer. Wow. Yeah. No wonder, uh, you know, that's why, you know, some of these animations take a long time. These, you know, people put a lot of hard work and detail into these movies. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, you know, putting a uh, production, uh, the production began for Shrek, uh, began before Shrek was completed. So that's, so they basically knew what, what the plot was going to be and, and the cat and the cast and all that before, it's just uh, risk because they didn't even know how well Shrek would do. Yeah, they're like, "All right, we're just gonna make a second one, put it Open in the, the works." <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, Shrek Two is the first animated movie in history to gross over nine hundred million worldwide. That's pretty cool. I wonder if I mean, I, I wonder if this is an up to date fact, but because that is, that's really cool. That well, it's the first animated movie. It. I'm sure more have done it since then, but that's true. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, it certainly was a game changer. And then next up, we have over 300 Hewlett Packard workstations 
were employed in making this in the making of this movie. So that's that's a lot of uh, tech required. <laughs> yeah, this uh, Shrek Two is the only Shrek movie where Lord Farquaad is no- not seen nor mentioned. I did not know that. I did not know he got mentioned in the third one, or I guess the the ones after that either. Uh, but yep, he's long gone by the time Shrek Two comes along. And not not to spoil anyone uh, remembering of this, but he kind of gets eaten in Shrek One. So obviously, you'd hope he didn't show up in Shrek Two. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, we have uh, Julie Andrews' first fairy tale parody in animated. It, it was Julie Andrews. First fair, uh, fairy tale parody and animated debut. She would lend her voice as narrator for Enchanted, also similar to Shrek with the uh, poking fun of fairy tales, and the voice of Gru's mother in Despicable Me. So that that was her her introduction into uh, you know animated you know voice acting. That's crazy because she had been acting for a long time since before then. Oh yeah, yeah. And this is her first animated debut. I didn't know that. Yep. But yeah, just thought some end with some funny facts about Shrek. Uh, again, you have till April 30th to watch that on Netflix if you want to. Um, probably by listening to this podcast, Netflix will know to recommend it to you. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, you never know. You never know. But hope you guys all have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.